imagery that maps on to the experience of God's people all throughout history. So what I want to do really quickly, here's what I'm doing. I'm just going to bounce through some of, a little bit of the Old Testament and then some of the New Testament to kind of give you a, this, a biblical, theological sense of how this theme of green pastures and still waters sort of unfolds and where it takes us. Right? Those pastures, it's just a habitation. Right? And as I said, still, that's the sense of rest. That's what it connotes. And we could see this, one of the first and really important places that you see this word used, that habitation, is in Exodus 15. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. Exodus 15, 13. It's, now, this is the song of Moses after they come out of Egypt. Here's what he says. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength, here it is, to your holy abode, your habitation, pasture. And then 17 and 18, you will bring them in and plant them on your mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made your abode, habitation. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. This pasture land, which you see, this pasture, green pasture, it belongs to the Lord, first of all. It's his. It's a place, we also see, that he has set apart for his people. And in fact, that pasture land is connected with the sanctuary. We'll see how this goes in just a second. It's God's dwelling place. It's the place from which he rules. It's the place where the people worship. That is what, God, what Yahweh has planned for the people that he's redeemed. That's the exodus. As soon as they come out of Egypt, now we get to just before they get into the land, Deuteronomy 12, 9 through 10. Listen to this. And here's the other word, here's the other connection. We got habitation, we get that, right? You're tracking with me? We know this habitation. And then we have this in Deuteronomy 9. For you have not as yet, he's talking to the people, this is Moses, you have not yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the, uh, when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit... And when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety. The Exodus shows us the people just coming out. Here, Moses is talking just before they go in. And what we see clearly is that place of rest that they're going into is the same place they were promised in Exodus 15. That habitation... That pasture is a place of rest. Get it? Later on, oh, excuse me. It's a place of rest. It's a place, and this is a specific meaning of rest, is no enemies are encroaching, right? So they are safe. They're secure. Again, it's the place where God dwells, it's the place from which he rules. It's the place where he is worshipped. 
And it's a place of security, right, where enemies are defeated. And the last little Old Testament passage is Psalm 132. And this is, I picked this because this is this climactic point. This is in Israel's history. If you go back and you read 1 Kings 8, right? It's like, it's like we're going up a, a roller coaster, right? And it's looking good because Solomon, he's got it together. He's asked for wisdom to rule over these people because he's a little kid. And he's like, I don't know how to do this. And so he's asking God, and God answers his prayer, and he gives him all of this wisdom. And he's building the temple, and he's bringing in everything, and he's, this is, he's ready to, 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 uh, to set the temple apart, to sanctify it to consecrate it for God's worship. Here's what the psalmist says. 132. I mean, and this is all just before it just crashes and burns because he you know, has all of these wives and then he goes haywire. But before that, here's what it says. Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest will be, will, I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed and his enemies. I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. The psalmist wants God to dwell where his ark is, right? And that ark is, is God rules from there. That's his presence. He wants him to come in. And this place will be God's resting place. And note what he promises. To abundantly bless, to satisfy those in need, to deliver, and to bring joy. God's resting place, that habitation... That God's resting place is the resting place for God's people. But like I said, it all broke apart. I mean, you read again, 1 Kings 8, and it's like a tragedy. It all comes undone. That pasture land, that place of rest, right, the shepherd is leading God's people to. This is what it looks like, and yet the testimony really of the Old Testament, but it specifically and explicitly of the New Testament is the fullness of that habitation and that rest hasn't come yet. That would wait for Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, right, verses 8 to 12, it's, you know, by faith, Abraham, and he was looking, he was promised, he went out like God told him to, to this place that he, where he was going to receive an inheritance. Right? And he didn't know where he was going. You know, by faith, he was just headed for a land of promise. And then Sarah, by faith, she received power to have, have kids at an old age. And then they have all of this offspring. Right? As, the, as the sand of the sea, the stars in the sky. But you know what Hebrews says, beginning in verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, and here, here's the point, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. All the way back, Abraham got it. His very life sort of enacted this anticipation of something more, this heavenly reality, this place. And Jesus himself promised this in John chapter 14, verses 2 through 3. Listen to this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to... I would, excuse me. I, uh, I, if it was not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself and, where, and that where I am... You may also be. That Jesus going away to prepare a place, these many rooms, it's not a mansion in the sky. That's tabernacle. That's temple language. What Jesus is talking about there is the consummation of the kingdom. What Jesus is talking about there is Revelation stuff. Revelation 21 stuff. Where in verse 3 of 21, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall no, be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 22 says this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship. Jesus was talking about, what Revelation is talking about, is that God will stretch out the tent over the whole universe. He'll dwell among men in the midst of them. He will rule. Enemies will be defeated. People will worship. Abundant provision will be made. And all will be satisfied. So in a sense, we are not unlike Abraham, we still are looking for more. We anticipate the fulfillment of this habitation and this rest that God promised. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't just wait for it. There is this sort of phrase that's been used at maybe periodically at times, this already and not yet. We wait for these consummation realities to come in their fullness, but that doesn't mean that you don't taste them right now by that little thing that happened at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit. We already enjoy that place. We already taste that place. Not in fullness, not with our eyes, 
but by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, y'all have memorized this one, I'm sure, some of you, 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? New creation. That's literally, it's new creation. Boom, it's come. The old has passed away, the new has come. It's already broken in. Galatians 3, 14, in Christ, the blessings of Abraham come to us. Ephesians 2, 21 says that in Christ, we grow into this holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you also are being built up into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, says the Father blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. By faith, people of God, right now, you already have a taste of that habitation and that rest. Two, the two things that I want you to see from that, real quick is that pasture, that place, that rest, and that shepherd have merged into one. So that our pasture, our place of rest, is in that person, Jesus Christ. Which means, when we're asked how we can say we lack nothing, we can say it's because we're united to our shepherd. The other one, and I'll, we'll touch on this a little bit more in, in a couple of weeks. We could go a step further. We can speak of this pasture, this place, this rest more concretely as this. Us. The church. The people of God. In other words, we the gathered people the body of Christ, in a sense, are that habitation and that rest because we're united to him. Now, that is that imagery. We've talked about how he marked out a place. Let me quickly talk about how he makes his presence known with those verbs that I mentioned. Are y'all with me? Tracking with it? Okay. He makes his presence known to us. Those verbs, leading and making us lie down. There's a sort of a complex of ideas that go together, like direction and guidance, making provision, protecting, satisfying. In fact, we've seen that in the place. All these things Christ our shepherd does for us. But we can, we can look a little bit more closely at the way these verbs are used and what they tell us about our shepherd. I read a verse, a passage to you last week. I just read it. I didn't really um, expound on it or say much more about it, but it's Ezekiel chapter 34. And what I want us to see is what our shepherd looks like in contrast to these other shepherds that Ezekiel talks about. Now remember, and shepherds in Ezekiel, these are the kings and the rulers, right? And this is in exile, right? And he's, this is the curse, or excuse me, the judgment that Ezekiel is proclaiming on these leaders. And again, remember I said, Solomon, after that, it just sort of all fell apart. And you had the evil kings and the good kings and the evil kings, and it just went crazy. But Ezekiel 34, 
Here's what Ezekiel says. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Remember this. They were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. That's what it was like being out there, out in the wilderness in exile. Remember that. Those leaders of Israel, all the things that they were supposed to do, to strengthen, to heal, to bind up, to seek, to bring back, to lead gently, to satisfy, what was the indictment? They were selfish. That's right. They didn't care about the sheep. They were like black holes, sucking everything into themselves. Again, you read the history of Israel, and you see what these kings do. You go, oh my goodness, this is some terrible things. But now look at how Yahweh, God, describes himself. Listen to this. Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24 I will set up over, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, 34, uh, or, or 34, to, never mind, just don't think, let's rewind. Okay. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, Ezekiel 34, 10, I will feed them with good pasture. Habitation. I will feed them with good pasture. Um, and, on, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall, here it is, lie down in good grazing land. Um, and on rich pasture they will feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. Listen to this. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then Ezekiel 34, 23. Again, these are the ones that I read last week. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Listen to the description of your shepherd, what it is that, that he does when he makes you lie down. He seeks you. He brings you back. He binds you up. He strengthens you. You those who are lost, those who strayed, those who are injured, those who are weak. Anybody fit into any of those categories? Lost, strayed, injured, weak. Your shepherd says to you, 
this is what I do for you. I come get you. I come get you. That's the contrast that I want you to see here. That's what God said to the exiles about him being a shepherd, and that's what he says to you today, experiencing any of those things through Christ our shepherd. The difference that we see between those shepherds and our shepherd is those shepherds were selfish, our shepherd serves. That's the first thing those verbs tell us. And the second and last thing I think that they tell us is that our shepherd is compassionate and gentle. Your shepherd is compassionate and gentle. Isaiah 49, 8 through 10, he says this, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. And here's why. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. That's the shepherd. He who has pity on you. He who has compassion on you will lead you. Christ our shepherd leads with compassion. And I think we see a little bit more about what that looks like just a little bit earlier in Isaiah. Isaiah 40, 11, he says this. Again, hear this. Hear this description. Don't let this fly by you. Really. We're not talking about, right, at him. This is what he stands here today saying to you, here I am. Here's what I am for you. Listen. Hear me. Listen to the way he describes himself. This is amazing. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What lies behind this is what shepherds actually do in the life of their flock. This is how he responds. He knows their eating habits, the shepherds do. He has a record of their sickness, their weaknesses, their strength, how fast he can lead them, when he needs to slow down for them. He knows what it takes to keep them healthy. Is that not the picture that you have of your Savior, Christ, your shepherd? He knows your record better than you do. He knows how frail you are. He knows it. He knows all of your weaknesses. He knows how much pressure you're under and the difficulty you face. He knows the sins that you struggle with and that you battle with. He knows how fast he can go with you, with us. And he knows when to slow down and give you a chance to breathe. He knows all these things and he tends to us. He tends to you as his people. 
I'll show you a, a passage real quick, last one, where the Ezekiel passage and the Isaiah passage sort of come together. Mark chapter 6 says this, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, keep this in mind, Jesus and the disciples, not having time to even eat, go away. But these people, desperate, come around and meet them. And this is what Jesus, Christ your shepherd, this is what he did. He went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion on this people who had no shepherd. But he was the shepherd that was to come. He was the one that was to come and be the shepherd that no other shepherd could be. All those other shepherds pointed to a need for a greater shepherd, and he was that shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But here's what Jesus the shepherd said. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii of worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Again, this resonance. The first thing Jesus says is he teaches. Probably making it very clear to them that he is right in that moment enacting what they all had been anticipating from Ezekiel. Telling them that they were just being led further out into the wilderness by their leaders. They needed to come to him. But then second, you know the rest of the story. He fed them. These weary people. And he fed them. All of this helps us to see why our shepherd is enough. All of these things that our shepherd does kind of goes in this direction. The last part, or the first part of verse 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters, and here's verse 3, he restores my soul. That word restores go two different ways. 
He makes you to return, to repent. And He revives you. He revives you. He revives your weary soul. He revives your spent spirit. People of God, hear what your shepherd says to you. In Matthew 11, 28 and 29, your shepherd says, come to me. All you, all of you who, are, who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he does. In him, he gives rest. Believe him. Come to him. Not later. Right now, he is saying to you, would you believe me? I'm here giving you rest. Let's pray. Father.